0: Today's scriptures come from 1 Chronicles, chapter 12, verses 23 to 40. These are the numbers of the division of the armed troops who came to David in Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul over to him. According to the word of the Lord, the men of Judah bearing shield and spear were 6,800 armed troops, of the Simeonites, mighty men of Valor for war, 7,100, of the Levites, 4,600, the prince Jehoiada of the house of Aaron with him 3,700, Zadok, a young man, mighty in valor, and 22, commanded from his own father's house. Of the Benjamites, the the of Saul, 3,000, of whom he, the majority had to, had to that point kept their allegiance to the house of Saul. Of the Ephraimites, of 20,800 mighty men of valor, famous men in their father's houses. Of the half-tribe of Manasseh, 18,000, who were expressly named to come and make David king. Of Ishakar, men who had understanding of the time to know what Israel ought to do. Two hundred chiefs and, and all their kingmen under their command. Of Zebulun, fifty thousand seasoned troops equipped for battle with all the weapons of war to help David with singleness of purpose. Of Naphtali, one thousand commanders with whom were thirty-seven thousand men armed with shield and spear. Of the Danite, twenty-eight thousand six hundred men equipped for battle. Of Asher... 40,000 seasoned troops ready for battle of the Reubenites and Gadites and a half tribe of Manasseh and from beyond the Jordan, 120,000 men armed with, the, with all the weapons of war. All these men of war arrayed in battle order came to Hebron with a whole heart to make David king over all of Israel. Likewise, all the rest of Israel were of single mind to make David king and they were there with David for three days eating and drinking for their brothers had made preparation for them. And also their relatives from as far as Ishakar and Zebulon and Naphtali came bringing food on donkeys and on, on camels and on mules and on oxen, abundant provisions of flour, cakes of f- figs, clusters of raisin and wine and oil, oxen and sheep, for there was joy in Israel. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. This is probably the first time ever in this pulpit that you've heard a passage from First Chronicles because I, I try to stay away from First Chronicles. That's like one of the hardest books to preach on for the Old Testament, man. I avoid it like the plague. But, of course, my friend, who is a Ph.D. in Old Testament scholarship, is going to pull it off like it's nothing. But who is our guest speaker for today? Our guest speaker is the Reverend Dr. Cephas Tushima. He is a man who is dear to my heart because when I first came into seminary, he and I lived in the same dorm that the seminary provided, which was a really ghetto dorm, right? But um, he and I were friends right away, and I just found myself really gravitating towards this brother. And throughout my time in seminary, we spent numerous times in prayer, uh, in Bible study, just kind of one-on-ones, and just a wonderful blessing to me when I was a young single guy trying to figure out life and to see if if I had it in me to even do this thing known as ministry. Uh, But who is Dr. Tsushima, he is very well accomplished, and I cannot even begin to try off the top of my head, try to tell you it. So I'm just going to read you what's actually written in his book. Yes, he is a published author, Integrity Matters, Men of Honor in the Public Square. This is his second edition of this book, and this book is going to be on sale for you guys. For If you want to read about this important topic as well as support our brother and his ministry. It's going to be for $15. So I'm purchasing a copy for myself. And uh, I think Pastor James is going to purchase a copy too. He doesn't know that. I just asked if he could just purchase copies. So, <laughs> this is going to be a wonderful read for me. I'm looking forward to reading it. But let me uh, give you a brief bio synopsis of who he is. Dr. Toshiba is an associate professor of biblical studies and currently serves as academic dean of JETS. He served as an adjunct professor at Eastern University St. David, USA. Presently, he is a research fellow at University of South Africa, Pretoria, and research associate at Stellenbach University, South Africa. Dr. Toshiba is also a Langham scholar. His published works include The Fate of Saul's Progeny in the Reign of David... Integrity Matters, Men of Honor in the Public Square, and several articles in peer reviewed journals. He is also a contributor to missions as Ministry of Reconciliation, Baker Illustrated Bible Dictionary, and the African Study Bible. For the 2016 17 academic year, this year, Dr. Tushima is a Fulbright Scholar in Residence at Geneva College, Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Without further ado, would you welcome my dear brother and friend, our speaker for today, Dr. Toshima. Good
2: morning. It's my privilege to be with you here this morning, and. Trust in the Lord that we have good fellowship together. Thank you very much, John, for that introduction. It's always a delight for me to have a reunion with my friend of many, many years standing now. Uh, some of you who are old, uh, older members of this congregation may remember that a few years ago I preached here as well. But those of you who are new may be meeting me for the first time. The theme for my sermon this morning is understanding the times. Uh, This is a theme that is very important for everyone, whether in one's personal life, or in business, or in ministry, or as a family, or even as a church, but perhaps even as a nation. Now, um, I will highlight this with just two examples. I don't know any of you here knows the company that first introduced mobile phone technology in the world. Does anybody remember? Not quite. Motorola was the company, and it's no longer in existence today. Largely because of the failure of understanding the times in which, at which uh, the mobile phone technology was going, especially in the last decade. By the time smartphones were coming out, coming out um, Motorola was still, you know, doing the regular mobile phone it introduced. And before time, it, uh, Samsung iPhone and others had overtaken the market, and it lost out. It, was, it has been bought several times, and that brand doesn't exist. I think it has morphed into something much smaller and uh, a lot more in the developing world than here in the U.S., Another example of a corporation that failed to understand the times in which it was uh, existing and went out of business, again, those of you who are a little bit older may remember Blockbuster, right? (laughs) And um, precisely in 2000, a young entrepreneur by the name Reed Hastings flew down to Texas, Dallas, where you know, the corporate headquarters of, um, of Blockbuster was, to share with them the idea of partnership so that he will be marketing Blockbuster's products online while Blockbuster will be promoting Netflix in their stores. And the story goes, he was basically laughed out of the boardroom because Blockbuster was such a successful franchise everywhere, that they thought you know, nothing was going to happen to their brand that was well oiled for many years. And it, it just took a few short years for Netflix to get Blockbuster out of business. So un- understanding the times is very important. And so even as a church, even as people, the people of God, it's important for us to understand the times in which we live to understand the moment in which we are in order to be able to, to fulfill our destiny and attain our full potential with God. This is the story of Israel. The theme is taken directly from verse 32 of our main text, 1 uh, Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, which says of the men of Issachar that they had the understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Now, to get us to um, the same page, in terms of what was happening in this passage, I believe most of us know the story of David. This particular chapter of Chronicles is divided into two parts. From verse 1 to 22 highlights the time when David was running away from Saul as King Saul was pursuing David to kill him in order to kill the vision. becoming a king and so within that first part of the chapter we, we we see those who came out to support david in spite of the risks the dangers that were fraught with that enterprise as anyone with david was an enemy of king saul in other words that first part of the chapter deals with a time when david was in the wilderness was not yet anybody, and yet there were people who believed in him, in his vision, his mission, and what God was calling him to. In many cases, it required people to sever ties that they have enjoyed for a long time, even ties of blood relationship. Just to cite an example, uh, if you look at verse 1, it says, now these are the men who came to David at Ziklag." why he could not move about freely because of Saul, the son of Kesh. And they were among the mighty men who helped him in war. They were bold men and could shoot arrows and slings with either, of the, right, either the right or the left hand. They were Benjamites, Saul's kinsmen. So even those as close as Saul's kinsmen left in order to be with this upstart, there was nothing which was a risk, rather than being in an established kingdom, but the kingdom that had already become decadent, a kingdom where the king was no longer understanding the leading of God, had never really learned to pray and hear God and follow God, and had now turned away from even the commandments that say, Thou shalt not kill or love your neighbor as yourself, pursuing a servant that had served him faithfully. So they left to be with David. And yet we also have a very tragic story of somebody who understood the times very well. And yet did not get, have the courage to take the next step. As the men of Israel, would, it would be said of them that they knew what Israel ought to do. And that's our good friend, Jonathan. There's hardly anyone in the Bible that has shown loyalty to God and faithfulness to a friend as Jonathan. And yet, the connection with family ties hindered him from being what he could have been. Clearly, as we know, in First Samuel, right from chapter 16, God had anointed David to be king in the place of, of, of Saul. But already saw Jonathan was the crown prince. And is very obvious. And uh, so how could David be alive and Jonathan be king? But Jonathan, as a person that loved God and sought after God, knew right from the start. And just to highlight a little bit about his life and connection with David. After David slay, uh, slew uh, Goliath in chapter 17. Chapter 18 tells us, the end of chapter 17 tells us how... David was brought to King Saul and was introduced. Now, in chapter 17, Jonathan encountered David. Now, verse 18, chapter 18, verse 1 says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And David loved him as as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Note verse 3 and 4 in particular. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Basically, right from this start, Jonathan was transferring the regalia of the crown prince to David. That's what it is. And as we see further, in chapter 20, uh, from verse 13, this is when Saul was already pursuing, actively pursuing David to kill him. And Jonathan came to encourage David. Verse 13 says... But should it please my father to do harm, and the, uh, and the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, if I, did not, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. Now, this is when Jonathan was trying to test the waters and confirm that Saul was about to kill David. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Again, you can see the transference. And this is exactly what earlier we were told the spirit had left Saul but was now with David. Verse 14, if I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. Who was the greatest enemy of David other than Saul? And Jonathan knew, and yet he prayed like that. He clearly shows he knows David was going to be king, and that's why he, he, he made a covenant with him. Don't kill me when I'm, if I am alive when you become king. And just establish a covenant with me. In chapter 23... Verse 16 and 18, it says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in the Lord. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of, my, of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. My father, Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh. And Jonathan went home. And that's where the tragedy comes. It was a time when those who understood the purpose of God. And what Israel ought to do. Were moving away from Saul. To where David was. Out in the wilderness. And yet. Jonathan understood this more than any other person. He had the power that he could have delivered David to Saul. Because he knew David's movement. He knew where David was hiding. And that's why he could make time to go and meet with him. And he chose not to because he knew the will of God. But that personal commitment that he, like all the others who were running over to David, he could not. He felt still attached because of family relations. A lot of times, as God's people, we know the right thing to do, and we understand the times, we know what, where God is leading, and yet, sometimes, because of connection with the past, because of connection with family, because of other connections, we are held back from doing that which we ought to do. Unlike a uh, blockbuster that didn't know And failed, sometimes we know, like Jonathan, quite well what is the right thing to do, and yet, because of other considerations, we fail to move forward and fail to attain our full potential. Within our main text, those years of wilderness wandering had ended, and David's ascendancy to the throne became inevitable, and now we see others trooping to him. And it's very common in life that at the point when you are just rising up, when you are just struggling, not many people may even acknowledge you, just like you know, the CEO of Blockbuster failed to know the potential that Hastings was bringing. But when success is already there, everyone wants to come on board. Think about when Facebook began, it was nothing. And yet, a few years down the road, it became a multi-billion dollar business, and many people are buying into it. That's why scripture says, don't despise the years of small beginnings, because they can open doors to great things. David had gone through a very hard time. Uh, he, scripture says in 2 Samuel chapter 6, that he began to reign when he was 30 years old. And remember when he faced Goliath, he was still a teenager. So a rough estimate, if he was about 17 years old, he had served Saul for about three years or thereabout. The Bible doesn't say. I am basing it on some calculations from other passages of Scripture. So probably about three years after Saul began to pursue him to kill him. And that went on probably about two and a half years because in chapter 6 of Second Samuel, it says he had reigned in Hebron for seven and a half years. So if you take off that, it leaves us with, uh, you know, just about six and a half years to t- uh, five and a half years to take care of the time he, start- he met Goliath and when he became king in Hebron. So right from about 22 and a half years, David was already king. In fact, from about 20... He was leading this band of rebels, including those who were far older than him, including his brothers. But for the next seven and a half years in Hebron was, was a very uncertain period of civil war between the followers of David and the followers of, of the house of Saul. But by this time, when we are in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, it became obvious to everyone that David's kingship cannot be stopped. And that, that was the point where everyone was now coming. Dear brothers and sisters, when we know the right thing to do, let's not wait until success is on the scene. But we can be part of those, like those who were there in the first part of, of First Chronicles, that were with David, even in the time of being in the trenches and doing the dirty work and clearing the way for, a, for the rise of a new dawn within Israel in order to fulfill that which God had purposed uh, in their time. As we move to look at this segment of when the people were coming to join David and to make him a king, we see that every stakeholder was bringing something unique to the table. And I will highlight some of these briefly. And uh, see how this relates to how we ourselves have a role. Everyone has a role in the fulfillment of God's vision. Definitely we are not ancient Israel. There is no David that is running from Saul. There is no kingdom of Israel. But we have one kingdom, the kingdom of God to be established. And as a church, we are part of those called to work towards the establishment of this kingdom. And there are different ways in which God calls us to join in that work, depending on where we live, our situation, our context, and what the times are and what they call for. Within this passage from verse 23 of First uh, Chronicles chapter 12, we see different parts of Israel, from the north, from the south, and everyone coming out with their unique contributions, to make this entire thing that God had decreed many, many years before, at least 13 years earlier, that David should be king, bringing it to fruition at this time. Amongst the different things they brought include, included skills and experience. And this goes all the way f- right from the wandering years. For example, uh, in First Chronicles 12, Verse 2 speaks of um, the people of Benjamin, where we read they were so skilled that in those days the weapons of warfare were very simple bows and arrows and stones. I remember, David killed Goliath with a stone. He said these people had such skill and experience that both with the left hand and with the right they could throw, and they brought all of those skills to help David. We also see. In verse 8, the first part of it, the people of God said they were mighty people, experienced warriors, experts with shield and spear. Another armor of those ancient times. But they were also people of courage and strength. Like the Gadites, since their faces were like the faces of lions, indicating courage. And they were fast like the deer. Indicating part of their strength. In verse 14, um, it says the Gadites, the weakest person amongst them, his strength matched a hundred people. Why the strongest was up to a thousand people. They brought all of that to support David. And that's why even with a small band, they could defeat so many people in those years of running away from Saul. But also they were well equipped. Getting more into the main text, you look, for example, at verse 24. It says, the men of Judah bearing shields and spear were 6,800 uh, 800 armed troops. And of um, verse 33, it says, of Zabulon 50,000 seasoned troops equipped for battle with all the weapons of war to help David with singleness of purpose. And we can continue on looking at all of the different people, all were coming equipped. They were united and well-motivated. Uh, as I was reading, uh, verse 33, said they had a single purpose of making David king. Verse 23 says, These are the numbers of the divisions of the armed troops who came to David in Hebron, To turn the kingdom over to him. So all of those divisions of the army or the fighting men had a common goal. Of course, verse 38 even puts it more clearly. All these men of war arrayed in battle order came to Hebron with a whole heart to make David king over all Israel. Likewise, all the rest of Israel was of a single mind to make David king. All of this points to the fact that as a people, when there's any task to be done, the greatest asset that the people would have that would bring the success needed is their unity, is their oneness. And that's what God also saw. Remember Genesis 11, right from creation, but God renewed it at a time after, after the, the deluge, after the, the floods of Noah. When he created human beings, he told them, multiply and fill the earth. In his covenant with Noah, God renewed that order as well. Multiply and fill the earth. And yet, as human beings were moving and came to the plain of Shinar, and they came there and saw it beautifully, they decided, we're going to stay here. And clearly, in contradiction to God's word, they said, let us build a tower Make a great name for ourselves and stick together lest we we'll be spread all over the face of the earth. And scripture says when God saw that, he says we, the only thing that can break them from doing this is what? Breaking their unity. But when the people are united, nothing can stop them from whatever they choose to do. And that's where the confusion of languages came. So that when you speak in Korean, I won't be able to understand you. And I speak in my Nigerian language, you won't be able to understand. But it came as a result of God recognizing the force of unity. So as a people of God, whatever God calls us to, there has to be that unity of purpose, oneness of mind, and bond of fellowship to be able to carry out God's purpose for our lives, God's purpose for our, uh, 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 for our church, God's purpose for our families. Even a small unit as a family, if there's no unity, if there's no love, if there's no common bond, they, can't, they won't be able to do anything. But there was also support. It was not just that people brought their strength and equipment but there was material support for the various needs for that particular moment as they understood what Israel ought to do. The last two verses uh, highlight that very well, uh, 39 and 40, where those who could not come sent materials from all over Israel because the coronation of a king is a very expensive venture, not just today, but even in those days. And so the material support that was needed in order to carry out this enterprise was all provided. But the last thing we see in these people was they were all anchored in pursuing that which God had said. Again, pointing back to where we began our main text, verse 23. It says, all of these people were coming to Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to David according to the word of God. So you can imagine all the 13 years that David was wandering in the wilderness and roaming and running away, people understood the will of God. But deliberately, they were going against it because it was more convenient. And it happens to us today. Oftentimes, we know the right thing we know what God wants us to do, and yet because of convenience or because of comfort, we choose to go our own way. But there comes a moment when, if we want truly to remain loyal to God, there has to be that underlining point as these people came to, according to the word of God. And to show this further, there were some of those who earlier on were coming to David in verse 18. Actually, it begins from 16, but I will just highlight verse 18. And there were coming relatives of, of Saul from Benjamin. And generally, Benjamin and Judah were very close and they tended to do things together. And that's why if you read in Samuel, 1 Samuel, you find that there were times that even people from Judah were ready to hand David over to Saul. So when David saw this groups coming to him, he was apprehensive. If you are coming to me so as to betray me to my enemy, the Lord himself will rebuke you. But if you are coming to me with good intentions, so be it. And verse 18 says, Then the Spirit clothed a Messiah, chief of the thirty, and then he affirmed their commitments to David. So you see, the place of the Word of God and the Spirit of God were very much important in uniting these people to that singular purpose of establishing the kingdom that God had decreed that we become David's. Today, the Son of David, even Christ Jesus, is the new David we need to enthrone as king among the nations. And yet, we, have, we still have the same situations where there, is, there may be people up there, supposedly in the kingdom and yet working contrarily to that which brings God honor. And there are those who have understanding of the times, what, in terms of what Israel ought to do. But do we have the courage to step up? Like those who came to join David, or we are, we are kind of, we have the inertia from getting up like Jonathan because of other ties that have been entangled, uh, we've been entangled in. But when we heed the Spirit's prompting and yield to the authority of his word in order to please the great king, no task will be too difficult to carry out. Brothers and sisters, as I round up, I want to encourage you knowing that whether you are trying to get into, develop your career life, going through school, doing all of your professional training, it's never easy. You know, seminary, you know, Ordinary people, we think seminary will be easy. John and I know it's different. (laughs) I remember years ago when I was studying in seminary in Nigeria, uh, there was a friend that when I was still practicing my profession as a surveyor, we were volunteering at a mission agency together. And so one time he came to Joss where I was going to seminary and we were visiting his elder sister. And then I shared a room with him that weekend. He saw me studying, so very big books through the night. And in the morning, he asked me, Brother Cephas, I thought at seminary, you would just be reading the Bible and praying and fasting. <laughs> what is all this studying about? <laughs> well, a few years down the road, he also came to the seminary and knew better. All of that is to say, whatever you are, you sense God leading you to. Those years of building up to it may not be easy. Just like David. They are like the wilderness years. But there is a breaking force point. As a family, you may be going through tough times. You are trying to establish a family business. And there are challenges. But whatever endeavor God is calling you into. Maybe even as a church. I don't know where God may be leading you. And the road may not look very rough, may, may look very rough. But do you have the courage to trust God and move with him? I conclude with this story. Some of you may know it, but it, it tells of a boy who went playing in the woods one day and found a, a caterpillar. And he brought it home. And he asked the mother whether he could keep the caterpillar. And the mother said, "Yes, you can keep it, provided you will take very good good care of it." So the boy got a big jar and put the caterpillar there and brought a stick so it can climb. And every day he would go out and get green leaves and put, the caterp- put for the caterpillar. And he kept eating the leaves and growing. And then one day he climbed on that little branch he put there and started acting in a weird way. The boy was frightened and called the mother. And when the mother came, he explained to the boy that the caterpillar was just spinning its cocoon where it can become a butterfly. He was very happy. After a few days of being in the cocoon, a hole opened, and the caterpillar started struggling to come out. And the boy was happy, but then when he saw how much struggle the caterpillar was going through, he thought he would help the caterpillar. So he ran to the bathroom and got scissors, but walked back because he was warned not to run with scissors. So when he got there, he cut the cocoon open. The caterpillar came out with a big tummy and small wings. And he thought maybe after some time, you know, the fluffy tummy will go down and then the wings will grow. It never happened. So he became worried, talked to the mother, and then the mother took him with the caterpillar to a local college to a biology professor there. And the professor explained to the boy that, well, you know, the caterpillar can never change the way it is now. I mean the, 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 the butterfly. Because the process of getting out of the cocoon, it looked difficult and painful, but it forces the liquid in its stomach into the wings, and that's why they expand and it can fly. But because you wanted to make it easy, it lost that process. So it can never be the beautiful butterfly it should have been. Sometimes God takes us through tough times. But those tough times are what what is meant to make us the kind of people we should be. When the caterpillar goes through that excruciating process of getting out of the cocoon, it builds its wing, large and beautiful, and we can admire. But when we want to make it easy, it becomes that fluffy little winged caterpillar, uh, butterfly. What is God saying to you? What is God saying to me? Let us pray. Father, we thank you very much for this morning. Lord, if there be any here that are not even yet sure that they belong to your family, they don't even understand your purpose for their lives, not to talk of your purpose for the world, that you will help them to draw close to you to open their hearts to you, that your son might reign in their hearts as king. Oh Lord, for those of us who know you already, we pray that you will help us to understand the times that we are going through as individuals, as families, as a church, as a nation, and what we ought to do. Help each one of us to bring the skills, the experience, the equipment and the, the unity, the motivation, as well as the yielded, yieldedness to your word and your spirit, that we will be able to move as one united people to accomplish that which you have for us. Give us the courage to dare the challenges and not just stay back in our comfort zone like Jonathan, hoping that when it is all over, we can step on the, on the stage. But to be able to step into the mix of things, bringing all that you have endowed us with for the singular purpose of enthroning your son Jesus as king over the nations. For the week ahead of us, We commit it into your grace that you would lead us in your love to seek to honor you in all of our ways and to bring joy to those we meet. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. We're now going to give God his tithes and our offerings. If you're visiting us today, we don't expect you to give. But to our members, let's give God his tithes and our offerings.